All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Being an Artist is Fucking, fucking killing, killing Me. Ooh. That was a hard one. That was aggressive. I wanted it to seem different from the week before. So. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, we're here with Raha today. Yes. She is a front woman of her own band. Bad luck woman and her misfortunes. Yep. She's an all-around talented musician. She plays... Classical violin. Oh, yeah. Which is crazy. She also instructs children and adults and... And a writer, which I yep. I learned while we were, today. Yeah. yeah. While we were recording. Yeah. Um, Something t- that's happening in the news. Oh, yeah. Go. Scarlett Johansson taking a, on a transgender role. We want to hear your thoughts on it. Yes. On it. Uh, we'll be talking to Raha about... Representation. Representation in entertainment industry. Yeah. It's a hot topic right now. Right. So if you have any thoughts on that, um, let us know. Yeah. And listen closely to the wonderful things that Raha's going to say, because I think she makes some excellent points. Yes. Let's go. If you had to give us like a 30-second elevator pitch about who you are as an artist. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Uh, I know. (laughs) My name is Raha Javinfarm. I'm an artist in Toronto. I was a classically trained violinist my whole life, and somewhere near the end of high school, I was rebelling against a lot of things in my life, and I decided to go to theater school instead of going to music school. And that kind of threw me into the world of theater, and I got spat out of theater school as a lighting designer, which is the way I like to think of it. Um, And then I dabbled a bit in projection design as well, kind of worked, hustled that career for a while. Then I realized I really missed my life as a musician, so I took some steps to play some music again, and I started playing in some rock bands, and eventually got into the folk and roots scene. Um, I now play in a Western swing band. I front a blues R&B band that I play bass in and I sing in, and I still do a bit of lighting design for theater, um, and I play broke violin, and I do some other theater stuff. <laughs> Great. And I teach. <laughs> and you teach. Yeah. Like kids, adults, yeah. lessons. <clears throat> Music lessons, yeah, violin, piano, ukulele. Whatever. Whatever they want. That's great. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can teach that, sure. Just gotta stay one one lesson ahead. Don't tell yeah. them that. Yeah. Okay. You're also the front woman of a band. Yeah. What's it called? Bad Luck Woman and Her Misfortunes. It's like a blues R and B band. Um, it's mostly sort of inspired by like fifties yeah, like late fifties, early sixties kind of uh blues, jump blues, that kind of stuff. Sweet. If anybody was at our launch party, Bad Luck Woman and Her Misfortunes was there. Yeah. Was there. Yeah. <gasps> Hello you, party. You left out the fact that you make awesome hot sauce. Oh, oh right. Yeah. Awesome <laughs> hot sauce maker. Does that, I don't know. Does that fit in as part of my artist thing? I don't know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've got this pineapple mango scotch bonnet Bad Luck Woman hot sauce. It's great. It's lit. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you like it. Um, yeah. I heard an interesting thing this morning on another podcast. Someone said that it's a weird time to be an artist because everything that everybody is producing is a comment on what's happening in the world. And that can be, feel super restricting for them. Do you have like a relate to that at all? That's really interesting because I fret a lot about the fact that I feel like a lot of the art I'm currently making doesn't do that. Oh, well, 
it, it's different. So like in my band with Bad Luck Woman, um, we don't have a ton of original tunes. A lot of them are arrangements of like old songs and we try to find stuff that people don't really know. So it's not like the big hits from the time. It's the more obscure tunes and that kind of thing. And a lot of the time I find myself at a bar having some drinks and playing some tunes and wa wanting nothing in the world other than to just like see people dancing and having a good time mm -hmm. and sort of forgetting a lot of the stuff that's happening in the world. And although I recognize that there is value to that as an artist and an entertainer, um, I sometimes worry that I'm ignoring things that are happening and not being a part of that kind of arts fabric that includes a lot of that kind of stuff. And I guess it's really challenging because if I ever do want to go there, um, I worry about like, out of all these projects, like which one, how do I, what do I do? And which thing is, I don't want my, my band bad luck woman. Like I don't want to start writing songs that are completely outside of that genre or outside of that style or something. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I want to try to stay within certain boundaries. Um, not to restrict myself, but to guide myself and to... To not get lost. To not get lost. Yeah. Also branding. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But then there's this project I'm involved with. Um, there's a theater company called Quote Unquote Collective. And there's a theater show that six women have been writing as a collective. Um, I'm one of the six in the cast. And it's been three years in the works. And it's called Now You See Her, and it's about all the different ways that women disappear in our society, um, whether it's literally going missing or if it's uh, someone in their older age, later in their career, kind of vanishing away from their colleagues, not being paid attention to the way that, it, that they may have used to been um, artists who kind of have various layers that they cover themselves with and then their true self starts to vanish, etc. Mm -hmm. There's six different stories of six different women. And it's very much about women's issues and against the patriarchy and that kind of thing. And when we started working on it three years ago, it was a very different political landscape than it is now. Yeah. Um, the Me Too movement happened well into our process of yeah. writing this play and working on something that we thought was going to be this huge statement. And we hope that it still can be, and we hope that it can still have an impact and be part of that conversation. But it's really interesting that way too, because the world moves so fast. And as artists, we want to take our time and we want to create at a certain pace. Right. And when you're trying to do something that's like a comment on current issues it's sometimes hard to keep up or it's hard to like produce something that's as meaningful as you want it to be or says the thing that you want it to say um w in a timely manner <laughs> you know what i mean um so that's something interesting that we've kind of encountered with that project that's relevant to that yeah yeah um it's also like hard to produce something that you're proud of in a short period of time if you like want to make a comment on uh -huh. what's happening in the world right right and definitely it, definitely it's I feel like it's moving faster and faster and faster. Like there's not really going to be a way that we can keep up. Yeah. Like exponentially faster. Yeah. As we keep going. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I envy like the people who draw the little um, comics and stuff in the newspaper. What do you call it? Like the little satirical cartoons. Oh, like Family stuff. Circus. <laughs> that's just like, that's like, this is what happened today. Boom. Like here's my little artist rendition of it. And it's sort of like a fast paced <laughs> thing for them, you know? Right. But yeah, I know I have a lot of respect for 
I don't know, like, I don't know if you guys are South Park fans as an example of a show that, like... So much commentary on what's happening. So much commentary yeah. on what's happening. Yeah. And that one season in particular that was, like, that lined up with, like, Trump's election and everything, it was unbelievably satisfying for me to watch that show. It just, like, really, it just helped sort of channel a lot of that rage and frustration. And it's, like, they get it. And, and yeah. somehow they were able to kind of keep up, right? And, like pump them out so fast. Right. Um, but Simpsons right. too, right? Simpsons too is like yeah. really on top of it yeah. in a way like that too. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just like they have really smart writers in the room. Yeah. Right? They can recognize yeah, like what's going on. Of team of them. Team of them. Yeah. That too. Large, large teams of Yeah, people. yeah, exactly. Also yeah. like, let's just call a spade a spade. Like what's happening is like nobody, not very many people predicted. It's kind of like outrageous that it happened and like a lot mm-hmm. of Simpsons, what they had written is like five years later. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not like they're predicting it. It's just like they're writing things that are like ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And like completely out of fucking left field. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just <clears throat> happening <laughs> because this is the world we're living in now where like the well, outrageous is succeeding. I'm pretty sure yeah. that that wasn't that a thing. Like it was all over the internet a while ago about how the Simpsons like years and years ago made a joke about Trump being president yeah. and it yeah. was a total joke. Yeah. yeah. Here we are. <laughs> We haven't had a Trump episode, actually. No. I... We've avoided it. Mm. I don't know if we've avoided it. A whole episode? Come on. That would be insane. No, we haven't haven't had, like, a a lot of commentary on it. No. I just feel like I don't know enough about American politics to, like... Because it's very complicated. Yeah. Right. To be, like... I can say, like, I hate Trump, and I, like, don't really like that anything he does or stands for, but I also, like... Don't have anything to, like, back it up. Yeah. I have no political science degree. Yeah. No. Me neither. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. yeah. I can basically just, like, regurgitate, regurgitate? regurgitate information <laughs> that I've, like, read or heard. But mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That's true. Um, <sighs> so when you started this theater show mm-hmm. and you were commenting on women's issues, mm-hmm. how did it feel different to how it feels now? Like, yeah. uh, environment-wise? Well, at the time, it kind of felt a bit more like we were hoping to bring to surface and put in the light things that people were unaware of for the most part. Right. And now all of that stuff or a lot of it has become so much more prevalent in the news and, and it's come to the forefront and now, and now it's not a question of like whether these things are happening or not. Um, so now it's a different kind of commentary. Now it's more trying not to, and this is the hard part is to, like, you don't want to just keep repeating things that people have already heard without adding constructively to the conversation or without um, inspiring questions. I think right. that's one of the best things we can do, right? At the end of this show, I don't think anyone's going to walk out of there with answers, but hopefully it'll just raise more questions for them about their own behavior, let's say, if they're a male in mm-hmm. society, their own behavior if they're female, if they're um, in the workforce, how they interact with their colleagues, etc. There's so many different things. Um, but it does feel different because it feels like at the time when we first started writing it, it would have been more of like a shocker maybe for some people like to watch the show and be like, oh my God, I can't believe these are the things that are happening. And some of it still will be. I think some of the things that are in the show have still not really been talked about a lot 
these days. Um, but certain other things have clearly changed. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully it'll just kind of build on that conversation and, like, inspire people to just think more about it and mm-hmm. ask more questions. And Are you worried that it's going to, like, add to this oversaturation that we kind of face right now of, like, everything being a commentary on something? Um, no, because I don't think that part of it changed okay. c- compared to when we started it. Like, it would have been a commentary then, and it's one now, and I don't know. It feels like a bit, it's like a drop in a in an ocean, and maybe you're right. Like, that way you're adding to that, but um, I'm not really worried about that. I think it's going to be a really powerful show and a really good show, and hopefully one that people will both enjoy and really get something out of. Um, so, yeah. Do you have dates that it opens? Yes. <laughs> Are you acting in it as well? October. Great. Yeah, it's sort of a, it's like, it's like a third text, a third movement, and a third music. And I think I was originally brought on as someone who could contribute, like most of my strength when it comes to those three are musically, obviously. Um, But yeah, I have a character and I'm acting a bit and like really badly moving a bit (laughs) like movement is not my forte but yeah it's a huge challenge for me it's like really pushing me beyond anything I've ever done before Mm -hmm. um so maybe it's like a really selfish thing the reason that I'm like no I'm not worried it's gonna be a great show because it's like well for me it's this incredible experience and all that stuff but no but I do think it'll hopefully contribute something positive and constructive to the whole thing yeah yeah great it is kind of a weird thing, right, when you're in, in a show and, like, what you're experiencing as the artist in a show or when you're making something, you're so invested. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've had dance pieces before where I've been in and I'm like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is spectacular. This feels great. This is going to be such a great, like, a showstopper. And then you see it, like, a year later and you're like, that was meh. Like, that was, like... Yeah, it's or, easy to kind like, of become uh, it's, it's blind how, like, inside totally. of it. <laughs> yeah, I've for sure. I've definitely had times where I've yeah. like, been blind in work. For sure, for sure. And then you step back and you're like, oh, was that as yeah. intriguing? Yeah, or? well, and I definitely wonder <laughs> that, obviously, about this project. But I've put, I have a lot of faith in uh, Amy yeah. Nosbakin and Nora Sadova, who are at the helm. They're the directors, and it's their company. Mm-hmm. Um, they did Mouthpiece. I don't know if either of you saw that or heard about it, but it's it was a really wonderful show that's done really, really, really well all over the world. And um, one really great thing we've done is because we've been writing it for three years, we've had many showings and presentations where people are invited to come and yeah. give their feedback. Uh, yeah. And that kind of keeps you... Um, level-headed a little bit when you get other people's perspective on it. And and it's like, does this still work? Is this still relevant? Did you enjoy that? You know, it really, really helps. And these are people whose opinion we trust, but who are also going to be honest. And they know Mm -hmm. why they're there. They're not just there to, like, butter us up and tell us we're great. They're there to be like, yeah, that little part really didn't work for me or whatever. So that really helps that part of the process, I think. Right. Problem. We were just talking about outside eyes with someone else, actually. Yeah. Um, do you always find them helpful or do you find them to be unhelpful sometimes? Um, I guess it just depends on the project and the outside eyes. I can't say that I have a ton of experience with it. Like this is the one show in this manner that I've 
worked on. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's kind of the most recent and the most clear experience I have to recall. Um, yeah, it is really tough. I guess it's really tough when you kind of come, come up against an outside eye that you're like, I'm going to ignore what they just said. And then you're <laughs> like, but wait, isn't that the whole reason why I asked this person to give me right. the feedback? And it becomes really complicated. Like, right. I don't know. It just, I think it just matters on who the outside eye is. Right? It does. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps when you're a team, like we're six people totally. and we have a choreographer who works with us mm-hmm. and there's like other people in the team. So kind of bounce a lot of ideas around even within that. Like, right. There's oh, a lot of so and so said whatever. What do you think? Or what does that mean to you? And right. You can kind of help work that through. Um, yeah. If I was alone on a project, I think I would get like really messed up if I had too many outside eye opinions and things and I just wouldn't know how to sort through them or right. what to do with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were talking and it, they can be, become problematic when they come in and they have a bunch of biases and preferences and they just like impose those on you Mm -hmm. without like looking at your work in like with like a blank slate and taking it for what it is and then like offering proper criticism it's like well I don't like that because it's not my style like that's not helpful I guess in that case you just want to try to analyze okay this person said that because of this bias or that bias and then you can kind of want okay does that bias have any value in terms of the feedback that I'm looking for. Do you right. know what I mean? Like, and like my you kind of have to do a bit projects. more work mm-hmm. around it, but which is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> also like Fran made an excellent point about like that being generational. Oh yeah. In some, t- in some instances, it's often a generational perspective that's seeing it this way. Mm. Another generation that's seeing it another mm-hmm. way, mm-hmm. which I think is a great point. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> something I've been thinking about all week um let's talk about bad luck woman sure excited yeah how was tour um good so we did a little east coast tour uh in April I don't know if you guys remember the horrible ice storm that yeah, happened. Yeah, delayed your leaving. It did yeah. by a day, but um, I was like so depressed that day. I sat on my couch and I ate the potato salad that I had bought for the van. <laughs> All of it. It was like a Costco-sized like tub of potato salad. <laughs> So let's not discuss whether I ate all of it or not. <laughs> I was just like so miserable. Um, but that's like stupid stuff like that too, right? Like you set your, you have this plan and for months and months you work so hard towards it and you just keep rethinking, like reimagining what that day is going to be like. It's also because it was my birthday and I have this big thing about like on my birthday, like I always either have a show or like I wanted my tour to start on my birthday. You know, it's like so right. selfish and self-centered. I was like, this is what I want for my birthday. And I had like imagine what it'd be like in the van in the van with the band, and then this like freaking ice storm completely destroyed all my plans. And it's like you just feel so hopeless and helpless and yeah. small and right. talk about perspective. Um, but anyway, we finally left the next day. We made it. We had a great little tour of the East Coast. Played some shows to like four people and then played some shows to much fuller houses. Um, we did this one house concert in Ingramport that was like 
totally an amazing party. There were so many people there and they were all older people. And I get really excited when like older people like let loose and get, get up and start dancing and <laughs> drinking. So just like really, I don't know, I get off on that. I'm like, yeah. Um, so that was fun. Um, what do you have coming up this summer? Uh, we are playing at the Mount Tremblant Blues Festival on July 10th and 11th. Um, oh my God, what else are we doing? We have a few gigs in Toronto at the Cameron House and the local. And yeah, we just played at the Orangeville Blues Festival. It's kind of sparse this summer. Um, I'm working on a tour, hopefully in November, which everyone's like, what? November? It's like the worst time to go on the road. And maybe that's true. But this is one of my problems. This is one of the ways that being an artist is fucking killing me. It's the fact. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> it's like this show. Now you see her. I am so excited about. I've been working on with these wonderful women for like three years. It's it's like it's insane that it's finally about to happen this fall. It's kind of like yeah. very unbelievable because we've been working on it for so long. And in the fall, when it finally does happen, we have three weeks of rehearsal in September, and then we have like a week of tech, and then we have a three-week run. So it's seven weeks of my life that are completely devoted to this show. And Minus the time you spend on it <clears throat> the past three years. Yes, yeah. totally. <laughs> but, the, but in the past three years, it's always been at the most three weeks at a time. Mm. And even those, when it's three weeks and it's full time and it is so intense, I mean, the, it is grueling. Like, it is physically demanding. It is emotionally demanding. Time-wise, they're long days and everything. It's really hard to do anything else. Uh, the yeah. first couple rounds, I tried to kind of keep everything else going and I would book gigs at night and I would teach my students on the weekends and I would have like not a minute off to do laundry let alone relax um and it killed me and I still have a, I still have a really hard time avoiding that stuff and like completely saying no to everything but like seven weeks is a really long time seven mm -hmm. weeks is a long time to put any other project on hold mm -hmm. um which I feel like I I mean I have to I really have to I can book maybe one or two gigs on like a couple of nights off during that if they but it's also my voice like I have a polyp on my vocal cords mm -hmm. and I struggle and in this show one thing I learned um, in the process of trying to heal my voice is that singing isn't necessarily the problem. It's all the stuff that happens around the singing. It's talking loudly at the bar, talking to people in between sets. Mm -hmm. um, speaking on stage and projecting has is harder on my voice for me than singing. I think I've finally, after a long time and like a bit, a, a bit of training over the last few years, I've found how to use my voice as a singer where it doesn't hurt anymore. It used to, I used to hurt it and now I don't anymore, but I'm still learning and still trying to get that, um, strength with my speaking voice and my like projecting voice on stage and stuff. <laughs> so I worry, I stress about that, you know, like I can't book gigs around right. this thing. And so anyway, I really want to go on tour with the band and we've been talking about it and um, the little tour that we did was so inspirational. We're like, we got to go on the road. This is amazing. And so I'm like, all right, well, I'm available in November, guys. And everyone's <laughs> like, but the roads and the ice and the snow. And I'm like, ah, I don't know. People do it. So we're sort of, it's a toss up. We're trying to, you know. Where are you thinking of going? 
well, we already went east, so I thought, you know, west would be a good way to go. Yeah, in November. I yeah. know, I know. I mean, like, getting across Ontario itself is, like, it's so huge. And you have to go so far north in order to be able to go west. And it's so dangerous. So I haven't figured that out at all. And this is the thing, like, on my to-do list every day, it's like, book gigs, like, bad luck women admin shit, which I, like, wish I could just not ever do again. And <laughs> looking for a band manager. Whole, like, big time. Big time. <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> no, you know what? Get us the better gigs that pay better, and I will happily pay someone. Like, this, you know? I don't know. I'm just stuck. I don't really know how to do that. That's mm. another thing that's, like, on my mind a lot. Um, management and, like, a booking agency for my band. Um, have you guys looked into getting one? A little bit. Um, it seems really challenging. There's a lot of booking agents who um, have a really huge roster of artists already. And so, I don't know. It's really tough. It's really tough. It's kind of like my current thing right now. I've had a couple conversations with some people in the industry trying to guide me on how to do that. Because I've realized with all the things I do, like the big list that I was mentioning at the start of this interview, <laughs> it's really annoying to and I know this goes for any artist and I'm not to have totally, you know, respect that this is the case no matter who it is and how many things they do. Yeah. But the admin side of things really bogs us down, right? It kills us. Like the amount of time yeah. we spend responding to emails and, and trying to do things which it's not only the time a lot of the time, I really feel like I lack the skills to do it well. And so then I spend all this extra time just stressing. I like sitting there being like, how do I, what do I say to this email? How do I respond to this? How do I, what do I do around? Like, and I, I don't care about like really building those skills because ideally one day I don't have to use them. Right. right. But until then, I, big time do need to so yeah yeah it's really hard I don't know hopefully I can find some way of getting booking and management and that kind of stuff some help would be really 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 great <laughs> do the other band members help at all with admin stuff for bad local men or just you it's mostly me yeah uh, my partner Fraser Fraser Melvin he plays guitar in the band he does some of the work as well for sure he does all that stuff for his own band the Fraser Melvin band um, and we have, we make a really good team and we have this awesome apartment where we each have an office and we sit at our desks with the doors <laughs> open and we can see each other. <laughs> and so we like, we spend the whole day like, babe, what do I say to this? What do you think about the It's like, babe, it's like our back and forth, like little office team. So we help each other out, but we're mostly both focused on our own band and our own projects and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. How is that being um, the only female in the band? How is it leading that the other band members? Or is it like how do how do decisions get made? Is it always, you know, what's happening? What with everybody? Mm -hmm. Do you do a vote? Do you always get the final stay? Yeah, I guess it really depends on what it is. And we've had some conversations within the band about that um, because I really like the band vibe and the communal feel and wanting to present the group as a group. Mm -hmm. That's why I called it. I mean, it's bad luck woman and her misfortunes. It's like the band. Um, yes, 
bad luck woman is the front person and that's me. And yes, I do most of the work administratively and I'm the one who's like sitting, dreaming up things for the band and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But the band just isn't the same without everyone. We've done lots of gigs where we can sub out someone and other people can play. But for me, it is only like the full experience of Bad Luck Woman and Her Misfortunes when it's myself, Fraser Melvin, John Hyde, and Andrew Muldrin. Like that's the ideal scenario. Can't always be that way, but that's what I want. Um, we've been writing a bunch and we've been writing as a band. We went away together last September um, and we worked on a bunch of songs. We like lived in this farm for a week or like five days or something. It was awesome. Yeah, it was totally incredible. And we wrote very collectively. Like right. it was like in a room together. Maybe one person would sort of pitch some lyrics, but then other people would contribute to it and change it. And, you know, we would all kind of jam together and something would come up. And we walked away with like quite a few um, great ideas and a few completed songs. So that was awesome. And I think that that's like the main part, right? Like creatively, what are you? Are you an individual or are you a band? And so for me, that experience sort of like carved in stone. I was like, we need to work together. We need to Mm -hmm. be a creative team. However, at the end of the day, it is Bad Luck Woman. And I recognize that um, the audience maybe has a certain perspective. Like they see me because I'm fronting it. I'm the one singing. I'm the one doing all the banter, etc. And so I can't, put a lot of pressure on everyone else in the band to be super involved with elements that maybe they're less interested in being involved with. And mm-hmm. I try really hard to pay everyone well. And sometimes I don't necessarily make the same amount of money as everyone does, but it's a little bit, um, weird that way. It's mm-hmm. not just one or the other. Mm-hmm. Um, it's both like a communal band. And then it's also me hiring these guys yeah. at the same time. Um, And as far as decision-making goes, I always put it out to the band. We are really great at just talking through things and, hey, do you guys want to stay here or stay there? Hey, do you guys want to eat here or do you guys want to eat there? Do you guys want to do this tour or do that? Like, we really try to discuss things. But I suppose at the end of the day, I'm the one who makes the final decision and uh, does the work on whatever it is. Therefore, it's sort of in my hands, whether I want it or not. Sometimes I'm like, man, I really wish I knew exactly what everyone in the band wants regarding whatever so that I didn't have to just be the person making the decision. And I try to get their opinions as much as I can. Cool. Um, Does that like unspoken kind of like outside opinion of like you're the front, well, you are the front woman, but like how the audience sees you and how you hire these guys to be a part of your band, does that, like, feel like an added pressure to, like, your decision-making or add, like, extra stress when you're doing that admin mark? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I mean, and that's where, that's, like, the place where wanting a manager or, like, some other third party to help make those decisions becomes a really big thing. Um, because I can't see it from the audience's perspective. Like, I don't really know what that is. And so I only have my own version. And in my own version, I'm on this stage with these three other people and we're all doing what we do. And then the audience sees something else. And at the end of the show, they might all like swarm me or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And so having someone else who's neither me nor any of the band members, um, helping to kind of 
really visualize what that is and understand it and best utilize it would be a huge bonus right now right. where we're at with the band. Do you think that someone on the outside could come in and like do that justice? Yeah, definitely. Oh, definitely. Yeah. If it's, I know the right person is out there. I know it. And I'm going crazy trying to figure out how to find them. <laughs> like you would think at, like at an age like now, it's like, oh, just go and like look online. But you go online and you're like, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed with like, you know, I've done that before where I like really wanted to work with a new photographer or like a new graphic artist or something like that. And I just like put out a call online, like looking for people's recommendations. I'm sure you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden you're like, okay, great. Now I have 300 recommendations and it's just going to take me like a week to go through all of these or like, I don't know. It's really challenging. It's incredible that we are, we are so rich with options. And then it's so frustrating because I don't know how to and sit also, through them. Everybody wants to work. Yeah. Everybody wants to work in this city. Yes. It's so hungry. Yes. And I think a lot about that. And I think a lot about how to give work. When I am able to hire people, I want to be hiring not just the person who's constantly hired because they've just become the most popular person who does that job. I'm sure they're great at it. And yes, of course, it's valid. But there are people out there who haven't been as lucky, who weren't as privileged, who mm-hmm. are going to be amazing and have the skills and have the talent and haven't had the chance to build that kind of reputation. And I want to find them, but it feels like it's this huge, monstrous task every time, mm-hmm. especially because they're the ones who are going to be buried at the bottom of right. all that list. Also, and it tends to be a gamble, right? Yes. Yeah. People are yeah. most nervous about. Yes. They're doing something that they're producing. They want it done. Well, and sometimes people that aren't working the most, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. Or sometimes they're just new, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. you really got to do your research on what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when it's complicated. Yes. I struggle with that. Mm -hmm. I definitely do. Um, and one the, one of the things that I think contributes to that a lot is that if you're not from Toronto and you move here and you're trying to like make your way into the community, Mm -hmm. it feels like a big city but you're here for six months and everybody knows each other, right? And yeah. so it's sometimes very, very hard to navigate this, like, weird small town feel in a city of six million people. Yeah. It's That's so true. weird to me. Right. Well, yeah. you probably, you, I guess you had that experience moving here yeah. from elsewhere. And rainy, too. We're both not from here. Right. Yeah. You're from Toronto. Yeah, I grew up in Toronto. Wow. And... Yeah. That's great. So I have no idea what that feels like. It's very weird. Yeah. It's super, it's hard to like, I don't want to like, oh, what was me? Small town girl. No, I get it. City. Yeah, no, for sure though. <laughs> right. Yeah, poor, poor girl. No, no. girl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's a, it's a different game then, right? Like it's a different game because you can't necessarily call on your like friends or your past experiences because you just don't, like, don't have them don't have the network so you're constantly like trying to prove yourself yeah also like names that are big elsewhere aren't names that are big yeah here so like like, my resume i worked with this person yeah nobody gives a fuck yeah nobody knows who that person is yes you know (laughs) that is very real yeah Yeah. (laughs) but i think you nailed it when you also said the small town feel inside this huge city and that's what's crazy to me and that's what gets me annoyed sometimes is like I want, it's, it's such a messed up thing. Like I have like 
whatever, like some unreasonable number of like friends or connections or whatever on like my social media, right? Like it's like how many thousand, like what? I don't know all these people. I know like 20 people who are in this little scene, like this little Toronto music scene that is like so tiny or at least the one that I'm a part of. And I feel like, you know, I love these people and I feel a really wonderful part of this community, but I get very frustrated at how small it is and how repetitive it is, how the same people get the same gigs all the time. And Mm -hmm. again, I know there are people in this massive city of all of these people. There's so many artists and it feels like a small town and it feels like a small town in more ways than one. Like it's not very diverse. Like we're in this incredibly diverse city, but the scene that I'm a part of is not very diverse Interesting. at all. And it's, and you know, that goes for both gender and ethnicity and just overall like socioeconomic background and everything. It's like that I find incredibly frustrating. Um, and I don't know how to get out of it. Yeah. How do you describe, I mean, like your community then would it just be, would it be like blues musicians specifically? Would it be people in, in any type of music? I think I'm talking about like the roots music scene. Yeah. You know, so like, yeah. I like not knowing much about it and knowing you, I feel like it would be very like white male dominated music scene. You got it. (laughs) You nailed it. Nail hammer. Yeah. (laughs) Boom. (laughs) How'd you guess? Enter sound effect here. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, how do you deal with that? How do you handle that? It's really hard. I'll tell you. So Fraser and I are running this music series in August that we're really excited about in our neighborhood. We live in like a very white part of town, in a beautiful, lovely neighborhood uh, near Runnymede and Bloor. And we're running this, uh, it's called Swansea. So we're doing like a Swansea music series every Tuesday in August. And in some ways it's like starting your own little music festival, right? Because we were like, okay, now we have to book the acts. Like we got the approval from the Swansea Town Hall to... Um, to run the series like on their patio. It's going to be this outdoor thing. We thought, oh, it's going to be family friendly. We're going to encourage families to come. We want to give them a taste of live music culture, you know, show them the pay what you can jug, be like, yo, you got to pay for this stuff. It's not free, blah, blah, blah. Like kind of build that culture, especially because there's not really any live music venues in the very tight community there. So we thought it could be a good start. And then we started booking the acts and I was like, oh my God, like I was really stressed about not, just having white males play this Mm -hmm. whole series. And then I realized how difficult it was for me to think of other people that I would even know, especially because we're at a point where we're doing a startup thing. We don't have a huge budget. We got some small sponsorship and whatever, but I can't just like pick whatever amazing act in the city who is diverse and call them up and say, I'd love to have, you know, like, right. like I don't have the budget necessarily to support to that because I need to actually, I'm relying on my friends and the community around me to help build this thing up. So I'm like, you know what I mean? And so within that community, and again, it's so challenging because then I have all these conversations with people that are like, well, as long as it's good, as long as they're a good act, as long as they're talented, as long as they're professional. And it's like, well, yeah, all of those things, but all of those things also exist with people who are from different backgrounds Mm -hmm. and who are not getting these opportunities and who have not grown up with the privilege to put them there, like without hardly any adversity in their way. You know what I mean? Um, and it became really challenging and 
I don't know. It's still not like fully booked. We have a few good acts and it's, but that's one way that I realized what a huge challenge it is to bust out of that little community and to give opportunity to other people, even when you're in the position to give opportunity, which is, that's the thing. It's like in order for these things to shift, the people with the privilege have to share it. Yeah. The people who are in a position to hire someone have to consider that matter when they go to hire that person. Mm -hmm. The people who are in the position who are handing out money to people, giving scholarships, providing opportunities, like they have to consider this stuff in order for that balance to be found Mm -hmm. somehow one day. And when you just say, well, I don't care if they're white or not white, they're the person who caught my attention, they're the person who did a good job and I'm going to give them this opportunity. It's like, well, ah, there's yes. so much more to it. Right. You can't, yeah. it is like, yeah, you have to be a little bit more critical, right? Yeah. And you have to, I think, take your time when you choose, when you are, have the opportunity to give people a platform, right? You yes. can't just like, they're the first person. I, I don't see color as like such a fucking yeah. terrible terrible fucking you're not realizing there's a problem it's a cop out I agree with that I agree with that and I guess for me what it comes down to it's like if there are two final candidates at the end of a process and on every other level you think they are equal and in terms of their skill and their background and their experience and everything else you just don't know because they are equal in my opinion in the current landscape with what we currently need as a society you have to give that opportunity to the less privileged person to right. the person of color, to the woman, because that's how these numbers are going to get balanced out. That's mm. how these percentages are going to just like right. shift from being overwhelmingly to the other side. Mm-hmm. And that might seem unfair or might seem like you're choosing based on race or ethnicity, but I feel like we need that. I feel, bit. I also feel very similar that there needs to be an overcorrection. Yes, exactly. In order for then to, things to, to be balanced, to yeah. level out. Right. And that's not going to happen forever. And it but right now like, it's like a huge shift and it needs to happen. I yeah. know. But yeah. doesn't it feel like it's this huge, like controversial thing and people are like, yeah, I get nervous even talking about it, even though I like really, really, really believe it. Like I yeah. really, really yeah. feel strongly about it. Um, we talk about yeah, that quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There needs to be an overcorrection, mm-hmm. I think, because without that overcorrection, it's just going to continue down this like path of a, I don't want to use the word cop out again, but like this path of like, oh, it's fine. It's, I'm not making my choices based on X, Y, and Z. I'm making it on this. And you're like, put your money where your mouth is. Give Mm -hmm. the platforms to the people that deserve it. Yep. And then you can, then you can make those, have that conversation again. Yeah. So I feel very similar to you. Mm -hmm. I agree. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. It's nice to have like-minded people when in the room together. When is happening? It's in August. It's every Tuesday in August, 6.30 oh, till 8.30 p.m. What's outside. Um, it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, when is the festival? <laughs> the, it's called the Swansea Music Series, and uh, it's every Tuesday in August, um, 6.30 till 8.30 on the piazza of the Swansea Town Hall. Sounds great. In our little community. And people are encouraged to bring their lawn chairs and bring snacks and cash to pay the band. <laughs> um, is this your first time organizing 
something like this? Yeah, yeah, you're pretty booking much. Other bands? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely feels like my first time. <laughs> if I've done it before, it's, it didn't stick. Yeah, it's been a challenge, but it's really exciting. And we got this like um, sponsorship from Zoomer Radio, which like really meant a lot when we were able to secure that. I don't know. It 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 goes a long way. It obviously really helps us to be able to to do the festival. Um, and it also just kind of helped like validate my existence right. at that moment yeah. in time. <laughs> I was like, okay, cool. Obviously what I'm doing is needed and it's, yeah. yeah, someone else believes in it. And totally. Yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to that. I love children. I love working with kids. I love teaching and I think it's a really good step in a small community kind of way to, um, again, like just bringing live music to families and wanting it to be a family friendly event, mm-hmm. um, sort of helping. Cause that's one of the problems I find in Toronto is like, even though there are so many live music venues and there is a wonderful, um, music scene, there's something lacking too in the live music culture. It's a lot of the same people who go to these shows and it's a lot of the same people who play these shows. And when you have like these outdoor free events that the city puts on, there's a lot of people who come out who don't have the kind of experience that we have with like going out to see live music. They don't go to the bars on a nightly basis to like see bands and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And so it's nice to provide other opportunities for more people to be able to take part in the live music consumption culture. Mm -hmm. Um, rather than just like the people who frequent bars or whatever, you know what I mean? Because that's a specific type of person and there's a lot of other people in the city who should have that opportunity as well. And right. Yeah. And like in more casual settings. Yeah. But in a way that still fosters this idea of like, these are musicians and they're working right now. And it's not just like, you know, you go to like people go to a food festival and they don't expect to just be like handed free food as they walk down this street of food vendors, right? You know, they expect to go and spend money and like pay for this food. Mm -hmm. And it would be lovely if we could have a similar sort of mindset when it comes to music and the fact that these are musicians who need to get paid. Oh man. There was this thing on the radio yesterday (laughs) where uh, this lady on a a DJ on a radio station, whatever, was talking about some statistics that have recently been released about like the average musician in this, in this, this was in the States, but, um, what they make. And she was like, man, like it's like under $20,000 a year and blah, blah, blah. Like she was just like quoting all these like true and fair statistics about how little like your average musician makes. Yeah. And at the end of it all, she goes, so kids stay in school and don't join a rock band and like, don't become musicians. And I like freaked. I was like driving. I lost my mind. I I was driving. So I couldn't take out my phone to like call the radio station to be like, why would you not end that segment with so music music. lovers? Yeah. Like presumably the people listening to this music station are fans of music like tell them that they need to be supporting music and going out to see live music and buying CDs and instead she's like, don't become a musician, people. Oh man, I was outraged. <laughs> man, that radio so this is why no one listens to the radio yeah. anymore. Yeah, I was like, this is why you should always listen to podcasts (laughs) you are a radio station like you would not exist if it wasn't for the music that these musicians make for you to play on your station like oh my god I was so mad about that (laughs) yeah 
That's so crazy. What's like the worst gig that you've ever played? Like what's like based on like crowd reaction and um, venue? Have you ever played like a really, really terrible, oh my God, terrible gig that you've just been like, I could have dealt without that in my life. <laughs> yes, definitely. Like hundreds of them. Hundreds of them. But I think, well, I don't know. <laughs> Dozens of them, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sure. Yes. Lots yeah. and lots and lots. But as soon as you asked me that question, I was thinking about it. And I was like, any one gig that comes to mind, for whatever reason I was feeling is the worst thing in the world at that moment, I think that a lot of it, at the end of the day, comes down to my attitude and right. how I take it on mm-hmm. and I could play a gig to three people in a room where we're not getting paid and the sound system is awful and I'm being treated like shit by the owner and being patronized and talked down to and etc 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 like all those things that are like the shitty things about gigs could mm-hmm. all be part of it and I could still consider those three people and the fact that my music could be moving them at that moment in time and it could be making mm-hmm. them feel good at that moment in time and they're getting something from it that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise and I could like thrive on that and have a good positive attitude <laughs> and, and get through that and yeah. actually enjoy it at the very end. Mm-hmm. And that's a lesson I've learned too many times. So that means I haven't learned it yet properly because too often I think it's my own negativity and my own biases and my own expectations and you know my own attitude that gets in the way of enjoying a gig Um, because the same could go with like the opposite when everything is in place and everything is perfect and I feel off and sometimes it's valid it's like oh I had a horrible headache all day today and I just can't shake it or something's happening in my personal life and I can't get over it or and that could lead to it feeling like the worst gig ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's about the personal experience. And so to some degree, I think you have control over making those gigs better. Right. But it takes like incredible willpower and like meditation and alcohol. Focus. Yeah. Something I've <laughs> Whiskey <laughs> helps really. a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, on that note, is being an artist fucking killing you? Oh my God. Like on so <laughs> many levels, on so many levels. Can I just like rant about yes. why? Okay. Go so, so I do all this different stuff. I've been really struggling recently with, I went to this incredible uh, program at U of T that just ended last week. It was two week intensive thing called the Tafel Music Broke Summer Institute. I've been working with Tafel Music as a projections designer for like 10 years now. They're a world-renowned Baroque orchestra. They play on period instruments and they play like Baroque style music and everything. And I was classically trained as a child. And so I have this connection with the music that they play. I really get it. It's like in my roots. It's in my blood, it feels like. But I haven't been doing that for years and years and years and years. And I would tour with them as a projections designer and watch this orchestra and like not and feel so frustrated that I wasn't playing this music. Mm-hmm. So then I went and took this course and played broke violin for like two weeks. And for the last year I've been doing this. And then while I'm doing that, I'm like not playing blues music and I'm not in my band. And my band is like 
on pause. And then I come out of that and then I'm like, oh my God, I don't know how to like unpause the thing that I just paused for so long. And it's so hard to keep these balls in the air and to keep everything on track. And I don't know which thing to focus on because if I just focus on one thing and neglect the others, I don't feel satisfied. I don't Mm -hmm. feel fulfilled. I don't feel like I'm like doing my calling in life or whatever. Um, so that's like one of the, that's my current, like huge way in which being an artist is fucking killing me. Um, not to mention everything else in the world, how we don't make enough money, how (laughs) Doug Ford is the premier of our fucking province now, how the patriarchy is destroying all women's lives, how, I don't know, I feel like I, the other side of me would have become like a social worker because I can't live a day without being like, oh, how is anything I do actually helping anyone? And yeah, (laughs) I don't know. It's a loaded question. Yeah. Dying on many levels. I am at high anxiety just from that answer. (laughs) Okay, welcome to my brain. Talk about high anxiety. I have like I have these dreams. Oh my god, they're horrible. I feel like I should probably talk to someone about everything, actually. But then I'm like, but what shrink is going to understand anything about any of the things that like I have these problems about? Like at like two hundred dollars a minute. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Fuck you. Totally. I don't know. Or the other day I was like, I should see a career counselor. And then I was what? like, like what? You're not like, 12. Um, I'm a lighting designer and a musician and I'm, I don't know what I should do. Like Baroque or blues. Any, any advice? And they would just also, be like, like, what the fuck are you talking about? That, sh- that shit is bullshit. I take like a career evaluation assessment to, for my orientation at fucking university at York university and became a student. It's fucking stupid. What? And it came out with like, I didn't get like, I'm going, I got into school to do my MFA in like art and like dance. And it came out as not the artist stream oh, after I finished what? it. And I was like, this is bullshit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's for, I mean, I get the reason they like make you take it is for like people that are like, first of all, 17, 18 that are going to school and like trying to figure out their path. Yeah. Right. And they're like, here's all the ideas, the things that you could be. Yeah. Fuck that. You're, like, you're, you've decided what you're doing. You're taking your MFA. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. <laughs> it's very different. Yeah, I do, but I do feel bad for those kids who are like 18 and answering these questions and then like get a list of jobs that they're better suited for. Right. You know? Because then yeah. they're immediately putting people in the fucking boxes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Why do we need to do that? I know, but there is a part of me that believes there's like some expert out there who can like help me figure out my life and then I'm like but wait it's Oprah what are they an expert at yeah it's totally it's like yeah exactly I I it's Oprah oh my god you're right or Ellen oh but my probably god. Oprah yeah is what I'm thinking. <laughs> yeah I could spend the rest of my life just like looking for the experts who are gonna help me with like any level of still looking for a manager, looking for a booking agent, looking for a photographer, graphic designer, career counselor, <laughs> therapist. Oprah, if you're listening, we need your help. Yeah. <laughs> Personal fashion designer. Yeah. Uh, um, we're really excited because we're working with you on a video. Yay! Yes. I know. Okay, so I have to get the ball rolling on this, just like everything else in my life. <laughs> See, if I had a manager, it would already be done. But, right? But, We'd already yeah. like it would have happened by now. Yeah. yeah, I'm really excited about that too. Yeah, we're so excited. So stay tuned, everyone. Yeah. Yes. Is there anything you want to plug? 
Bad Luck Woman and Her Misfortunes. Badluckwoman.com. All the dates are on there. And check out Now You See Her, a play by Quote Unquote Collective, coming to Buddies and Bad Times Theater this October. And uh, listen to Baroque music, everyone. It'll make you feel good. Yeah. <laughs> that was so great. Also, Thank go buy our hot sauce because it's no. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Buy the hot sauce. Yeah. It's phenomenal. Um, thanks for listening, everyone. And we are Gal Pal Productions. You can follow us at Gal Pal Prods on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Also, email us any questions you have. Or if you just want to chat, email us at galpalprads at gmail.com. <laughs> Also, we have a Patreon account. We have our first Patreon. We got our first Patreon. If you're out there listening and you were just tired of hearing me talk about this, thank you. We we appreciate it so much. You're amazing. For those, if you're thinking about donating, go check out the Patreon page. Um, there's a link in our Instagram, I believe. Yep. Um, and on our website. And on our website. And you can learn all about it. You can donate anything from $1 a month to $3 a month to a million dollars a month. Whatever you want, you know? <laughs> Elon Musk, I know you're out there listening. <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for listening. And we have just a couple episodes left before we take August off. Yep. And because we will be filming our upcoming film. Yeah. And so don't worry, we won't be gone. We'll be coming back for season two where we have tons of fun just stuff. Just re-listen fun. to all the episodes. Yeah, just re-listen to all the episodes. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, and keep guys. up to date on by following us. Okay, bye. Yeah, bye guys. <laughs>